Bart. Hey, Steve Moriarty. How you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm mm, a little back pain this morning, but other than that, I'm fine. Well, that's good. That's good. Did you, you hurt your back or something? I broke it, yeah, in July. Oh, wow. I fell off a cliff in, in the Sierras when I was hiking and, and wow. landed on, yeah, and broke my, bro, well, I broke four, I broke four of my ribs, top ribs in the back because they were you know? Right. And I hurt my left lung with one of my ribs went through my lung. So they, uh, so I was at the bottom of this ravine. It was like 105 degrees and we had to go swimming because it was, we had gone camping and it was like seven in the morning. It was already 85. We're like, fuck this, let's go let's go camping let's go for a swim mm-hmm. in the sierras there's all these these rivers that have rapids because back in the day in the the 49ers used to use dynamite and they blew up half of this sierra range and they they left mm-hmm. all these these big gullies that that water runs down now and um so there's big slabs of rock that kind of have come down and in uh you know valleys where the where the water runs and so the water was looking really nice and hiked down I don't know, half a mile down to the to the uh, the riverbed, and um, I was walking up the side of a, a steep a steep flat large flat rock, mm-hmm. and um, mist from the falling water had like had created algae on it, and so I started slipping, and I turned and I, I looked over to my left, and there was like four twenty somethings like completely naked sunbathing on this other rock and i was like what, what where ah, and i fell over the side oh my god back and it was um it was probably only about 12 feet but i landed on my scapula and oh i as soon god. as i knew something was broken and like i was either going to die or, was, or i was going to get airlifted out and so i sat there i lied there i couldn't get up for about an hour and so i was baking in the sun and people were like uh do you need me to call 911 or something? I'm like, yes! Oh, and so um, somebody did, and uh, four paramedics came down and tried to get me out. Mm-hmm. I said, can you do it? I'll try. So I, I managed to get myself on my feet and and walked out, and one of the paramedics actually got heat stroke just getting me out. So they put me on the ambulance and sent me to the hospital, and I was there for a while. Wow. Here in Nevada wow. Hospital. Were you were you hiking by yourself, or did you have a hiking partner? I was with a friend. I was with a friend. Um, uh, it was her fucking idea to go down there anyway. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, th- people. It's really funny because you can really tell who in a in a situation like that, like who's really adept at dealing with tricky situations, and who's just not. And it's not everybody. And so I. Next time, I think I will, I will I will be camping with people that are a little more experienced in crisis resolution and oh, management because uh, I could have used a little help. But um, I'm almost better now, but I have a lot. I, I will have a lot of back pain probably for a long time. Oh man, that's horrible. That's horrible. Like, yeah, th- there are two things you don't fuck with: teeth and your back. Your back. Like, uh, yeah. Because you don't realize how much you use either of those two things until you can't. Yeah. And the back, you have to, you know, I'm doing physical therapy and you have to engage your other muscles, right? You have to engage your stomach and your Pilates muscles right. as my, there says your pilot's muscles. Um, but that, so you work on the core strength and then that hopefully takes the pressure off your back and improves your posture and so forth. But in my case, my posture is still really bad and my back still hurts, but I should be exercising more, but it hurts. 
Yeah, no shit, man. I mean, I have the worst posture in the world. Like, well, it's fine it's, for. A... Yeah, maybe. I mean, but it, it's eventually gonna, you know, kick me in the ass. So yeah, <laughs> you know, Jack, it, it's uh, it's been fifty years so far, and I'm you know still walking. So there's that. Right, and that life expectancy wasn't fifty until like eighteen forty-two or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, well, first of all, I, I hope you, you know, I hope your your back gets better in in the you know short term here. It's okay. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, you look very comfortable. So, you know, like, I can't sit that way because I have to like sit in this chair. You know, I'm like that's my preferred position. You know, kind of like one leg crossed over the other and just you know kicked back. The 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 comfort is the fentanyl. Oh, there you yeah. go. There you <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No drugs. Um, yeah, fentanyl. Um, I'm, I'm sure you know we'll talk about drugs at some point <laughs> through this whole thing, but may, maybe not right now. You know, it's we're we're only five minutes in here, <laughs> so it's <laughs> like maybe minute. minute minute forty five or so. You know, like oh yeah, no, um, it's starting to kick in. <laughs> I'm yeah. feeling okay. It's already there. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, okay. We went like you know almost five and a half minutes, and and I didn't even introduce who you are, um, which is not uncommon for me. Like I, I tend to do shit like that. Um, so the majority of people would know you from from the gets, right? Um, you've done That's a lot of other good. things, but you know, I mean, people, you know, if they were they were looking and and um, you know, they they would probably know you from the gets. I'm going to assume, right? Um, In Seattle. Seattle's kind of a, it's, you guys are kind of in a bubble of your own there. Yes, there's no doubt. Seattle, they believe that these, these like people, they've heard their names in, in certain bands over the, over the last 20 years are, are these certain like wealthy celebrities or something. Right. Um, and, and no one has really heard of many of the people that are held in high regard in Seattle, right. in the press, it's... but that's, that's cool because you have your own little thing. Yeah, well, yeah, like last week I had uh, Gary Lee Connor from uh, um, Screaming Trees on. And sure. it was, he's such a sweetheart of a guy. Anyway, so, you know, he, he's like, I don't know where people get the idea that we made money because, like, I ended up owing the IRS a bunch of money. <laughs> and I no. I don't even, I don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, they're just like, no, we're, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, like uber wealthy or anything. It's just, you know selling records and most people don't understand that like selling records doesn't mean shit right? yeah I really don't. you have to have unless you have one of those like killer contracts which so few people have um it you know uh, if you're lucky you're gonna make i mean super lucky you'll make a dollar an album split you know four or five ways plus the producers plus what are you know like yeah okay great you know i mean if you're lucky that's what you make um but you know, I mean, it still must be fun, though, right? I mean, like you know, going and and you know, playing a gig in where Amsterdam, like we were talking about before, right, or wherever. Yeah, Amsterdam was a good gig, except for in Amsterdam, people they don't they're not very appreciative. They're very like reserved. I think it's because they it's one of the most dense cities in the world. Everyone lives kind of on top of one another, and and they right. they kind of learn to be aloof and to like not sort of communicate with. Uh, outsiders but i remember when we were playing we would finish a song and the the people in the audience would go 
they'd snap their fingers and go, oi, oi. I'm like, what are they doing? And, and later they were like, oh, that means they like you. They're, they're That's the way they appreciate <laughs> clapping. I'm like, oi, like, yeah, it's like they want a cigarette or something. Right. But, I mean, to be honest, that's not much different than Seattle was in the early 90s, right? I mean, Seattle always cracked me up because it was one of those cities where you'd go to a show. It didn't matter how full the show was. And people would just kind of like stand there and, and kind of like, you know, bob their heads a little bit to the music. I mean, there was, you know, there was always that that group who were like, you know, in a mosh pit or whatever. And, and you know, whether it was appropriate for the show or not, there was always a mosh pit. Um but the majority of people would stand there, and I was guilty of it too. Like stand there with their, you know, their hands across their, yeah. like, yeah, man, this is cool, <laughs> but but not really interacting so much. I think I did that too when I saw bands that were slow and boring. Like, but like we um <laughs> we tended to play about twice the tempo of most Seattle bands at that time. Like, true, we'd already band for four or five four years when we arrived in the town, and so we we knew our we had a, a good set list, and our songs were really up-tempo i mean we're practically mm -hmm. hard compared to the screaming trees or right or mud honey like slow mud honey is like considered punk in seattle at that time but like their stuff is so slow it's so boring you know <laughs> and i would i mean i like it now but uh and i learned to appreciate things like guitar sounds and drum sounds because the music wasn't doing anything for me so i have to find right. something else oh bass sound is really good with this band but and I mean, I was, I booked clubs too. And I, I, saw, I went through so many demo tapes. I'd have a, a bucket full of demo tapes. And every day I would go through about 10 or 12 and listen to them and try to find one that was worth booking. And, and, and I found one worth booking. And that was, that was um, on a cassette. And it was a band called the Presidents of the United States of America. Right. And I'm, <laughs> oh, maybe I'll give these guys a gig. They sound kind of good, kind of cool. So I had them opening. <laughs> For Babes in Toyland at the OK Hotel in 1991, and then they just I love like, it. and they forgot they forgot that I that I launched their career. So mm -hmm. um, I I wish they'd played a little faster. It would have been better. Yeah. But see, I mean that that's the whole thing, right? So <laughs> at, at that at that moment in time, and 91, I I actually lived right around the corner from the OK Hotel, um, so I was oh. there a lot, um, and it was that time where it didn't really matter what was playing, like he would yeah. just show up you know like and most of the right. venues were that way you know same off-ramp for certain like i was there every weekend didn't matter who was playing you know just always there um, yeah so i mean i i think there was there was a, a certain amount of magic happening but it didn't seem like magic at the time it was just like oh, i'm gonna go see this you know these random bands there were some very very good bands though i mean like the okay hotel was the was practically like the all ages CBGBs of the West Coast, like everybody mm -hmm. wanted to remember one. I mean, I booked it for about a year, 91 to 92, I think, because I thought the gets weren't getting good shows. So I, I, I was like, I have to be proactive. And so I decided to try to book clubs and just book my own band. On clubs, right. Just gorilla. Just go for it. And that's um, brilliant. And one week in the summer of 92, I think, I know MTV showed up, you know, that was when MTV was sort of still on the rise. And, uh, they showed up to, to film whoever was there and uh, and that sort of made it, uh, gave it national um, notoriety. But one week I, I booked a band from San Francisco called Neurosis and um, mm -hmm. JFA and uh, Agent Orange was the next day. And then it was L7, Babes in Toyland and Seven Year Bitch the next day. 
and then it was a band called, uh, not Government Issue, but uh, Government Cheese, no. Um, anyway, they were on a major label. And it was like mm-hmm. Toad the Red Rocket after that, and then... Uh, I was at that Toad the Red Red Rocket show, which, which was actually yeah. really fun. Then, it was a lot of fun. At the, end, at the end of that week, they wanted me, there was, the owner said, oh, uh, we have a Sunday matinee. I'm like, fuck, I just worked all week, man. I would, I did the door. I had to like run back and make sure no one got beat up on the stage and back and forth. And then, and then that Sunday he's like, oh, we've got this band coming from, from Bert, from uh, Oakland. I'm like, I can't deal with it. It's like going to start at noon and they're going to play till two. Like, okay. So I went down and I was supposed to do the door, do the sound, do security and do the payout. And the band was Green Day. I'm like, right. I was, I was going to say that. I remember people that. Lining up, why are people lining up around the block? I'm like, fuck. And so, yeah, I had, I had so to do it funny. all. They didn't even thank me. You know? I mean, well, I mean, that was part of the beauty of the OK Hotel. Like, you never knew what you were going to end up with, right? It And it was sometimes they, they'd have um, just some random band from, there was a band from uh, Santa Fe. I, God, I can't think of their name to save my life, but I still have their, their 45 somewhere. Um, totally random. Like, I mean, they didn't fit at all. They just were kind of like sandwiched in on this bill. Um, and I loved it. You know, like that was fun because it was music was a lot about discovery. Right. And it wasn't just like, oh, you've got three bands that sound exactly the same, which is so fucking boring, man. Like, I mean, nobody wants to hear about. And we went out of our way to book three or four bands that did not sound the same. That was my mm-hmm. thing. I wanted to like, I have the Black Cat Orchestra, which was like a oompa, sort of like a a polka like eastern european band with cello and french horn and stuff and then i would put them on with like um uh, a thrash metal band and and uh some other band just just to break it up and that's mm-hmm. that's what people expected and that's what they liked um mm-hmm. and then they would start to share um uh members you know like not not every person that plays heavy metal just wants to play heavy metal and maybe they want to be in an oompop band or something yeah. so absolutely <laughs> they man each other that way but that was um that was a pretty fantastic time. OK Hotel, I think, is is real under underappreciated for what it brought because it was a short time, but it was intense. It, very intense, man. Very intense. Um, I, I did I did one show at the OK Hotel, and it wasn't music. It was um, I don't remember. It was probably about ninety two, ninety three, probably ninety three, um, and it was a. I forget what they called it. It was basically like an, an art show sort of thing, right? It was just this random whatever. And I had been doing stupid poetry slam stuff or whatever. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to do a poetry slam thing, but, you know, I do write software. So I created, what did I call it? The ultimate the ultimate slam poetry machine or something stupid like that, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like you do when you're like 20, 21 years old. Um, and it was a... Um, a software program I had written that that basically created um, random slam poetry, right? Yeah, no, it, it was so stupid, and I, I literally had taken my I had to take my you know desktop down there, and I had it wrapped in like Christmas lights and whatnot. It was just <laughs> the whole thing was so silly. I mean, it was so yeah. silly. Well, I walked away with a billion dollars in venture capital, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it had been two years later. And it was all it was all good until this one guy who came up and I, I forget who he was. He was in in one of the bands that played at, at OK all the time. And I'll, I'll think of it eventually. But and he's like he played with it for a little while and he's like, well, this isn't random. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, 
I keep getting the same thing over and over again. It was like, okay, game over. And I like unplugged the whole thing. I was like, fuck <laughs> this. <laughs> you know, it's like the one guy was a total like Luddite was like, dude, this isn't random. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I felt really, really, really stupid. Um, but, you know, hey, it happens. It happens. So let's get back to uh, uh, to the gets a little bit because obviously we're going to we're going to talk about the gets. Right. Um, I. I saw the gets a bunch of times, like randomly, oh. and I, I can't even tell you when and where. The only show I think I remember, and I, I'm saying I think because, you know, age adds to that <laughs> that mystery. Um, I think it bourbon. was the yeah, and bourbon. Bourbon bourbon helps that too. Um, I think it was the gets, the cows, and I, I want to say it was Whorehouse of Representatives. Something like that anyway, but it was at, at um, the off-ramp, I believe. It was something along those lines, but it basically it was three female singers, right? Um, and that was amazing because th- there weren't that many females, you know, in, in, you know, in Seattle rock at all. At all. Um, the only other one I can think of right now, and, and I, I'm going to talk about her a little bit too, is, is Carrie Ockery, right? I mean, like she was, yeah, I mean, basically there were a handful, you know, five or six, I would say. Um, yeah, it's, it's it was really um. I mean, com- I was just looking back, comparing bands now that I see around the Bay Area and when I'm in Seattle, and um, it, you know, it hasn't changed that much, but it has changed significantly. I mean, there are women playing music that are like mm-hmm. burlesque act or something because there's four women playing music. Um, I think too often, like like sub pop, maybe had one early on. Sub pop had one band with female artists, and that was. And they were called dickless and it was like let's make a joke out too and it's like come on this it was really disrespectful no i I agree with that i agree um and it's funny because dickless actually was a a pretty good act yeah Yeah, Um, but what's that well i dated the drummer for three years nice nice three yeah i mean but again it's like with a name like that it's like you know you're not going to go anywhere right i mean like there's I mean, you could. I, I guess it's possible. Yeah, um, you could. You could be considered a novelty act, you know. Right. So that's. I mean, and I think that Sub Pop had a real deficiency there, in in looking outside of like what exactly their their core constituency bought. You know, I mean, they they offered to do a single for us at one point at the OK Hotel. I was talking to one of the owners. Um, named Jonathan, and he um, he said, "Oh yeah, I, I would do a single with you guys, but like we're seriously going out of business. We haven't sold any records, and like my company is just about to go under." And right. I was like, "Oh," and that was prior to Nirvana had just played the OK Hotel and was just about to go record Nevermind right. in LA. They hadn't, you know, if it weren't for Nevermind and Sub Pop having the the points uh, on the Nirvana records, they wouldn't be in existence. No, I not at all. Not at all. And, and they did for women in music. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that whole thing. I mean, we could probably talk about sub pop for for a solid hour. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think I I did with uh with a couple of people um that I've had on you know recently. Um, I'm sorry. They just I don't fuck. I mean, they dropped the ball in such a giant way that it it's so painful, especially in hindsight, to look at. Um, you know, they could have done so much more. 
Um, actually, I had a, a Michael Anderson from uh, Blood Circus on, which Blood Circus is one of my favorite. I, I just love them because they were so different than all the other bands. Um, and, you know, we were joking about that. Like, you know, there, there's a, a kind of uh, apocryphal story that, that they're the worst selling band in, you know, in sub pop history. Right. And that, that's like kind of the, the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't. They actually sold, you know, I mean, they didn't sell great, but, you know, they were decent. Um, not the worst selling, but, you know, close to it. Um, and, you know, it's like Sub Pop kind of used that as, as a, a means of, of um, kind of keeping them out of the spotlight, right? Because they propagated the story of, you know, like, hey, you know, this band didn't sell shit. Like, you know, they're not worth anything. But Yeah, it know. was just, you know, that put the business, their label above above the bands in every way well, it was yeah. like it's all about not about the bands and you know motown ripped off its artists too so it's like well it's, it's it's an evil industry man i mean it's a totally evil industry um there's some good ones though i mean on the kill rock stars i have a lot of respect for what they've done mm-hmm. and uh, i i've actually not heard any negative any negative um comments about them mm-hmm. uh, but uh, i think they the owner slim probably kept maintained a particular level of, of, of respect by, by not trying to be do too much or be too much. Right. Right. Which, which is important. You know, I, I, I think maybe with, with sub pop and, and I promise we're going to move away from sub pop in just a minute. Um, but I think in, in their case, they didn't know what they wanted. Right. I mean, I, I they, they wanted to be a two things at once, which is, a small label that, you know, that pushed bands that were, nobody knew about, but they also wanted to be a major label. So they had this, like, you know, this, this total, like pulling, you know, both ends, you know, in regards to, to what they, what they would do. Um, and, you know, especially like, if you look back at, at, um, some of the, like few, very few people know this, but skinny puppy actually recorded a track for sub sub pop. Right. I mean, like they were all over the place. You know, and I think that was the Sub Pop 100. It was like their, their first like compilation thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and fucking Jesus and Mary Chain. I don't know all the details of this, but they actually did a song for Sub Pop as well. Like, they, so they were they were kind of all over the fucking place. Ugazi and Elastica, and then they were they were uh, like a playing like a boutique label for other bands to to launch them. Like, oh, look, they're they're an indie band. So we're going to put out an indie single, but actually they've already signed their contract with us. So let's just right. pretend, make them popular. But you know they arrive at now they're they're owned by a major label and, and they and they're considered an indie label and they have a store at the airport. So I thought it'd be any fucking Amazing! Like every time I walk past past that, I'm just like, oh fuck, are you serious? Really? <laughs> you know, like when they spend an hour buying shit, that's the problem, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> yeah, no, the people I mean, that work there are really nice usually. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. And uh, they usually put out, you know, a, a good product, you know, like, I mean, they, they don't tend to anyway, you know, skimp on, on, you know, packaging and whatnot. Like, you know, it's, it's a decent product. Um, although I can't think of the last time I bought something off of Sub Pop. Probably about 25 years is, is my guess, maybe even 30. Um, uh, or 30 years and then finally did. So it's either way. Yeah, that's been yeah. weird. But right uh, now, we'll pat our heads and take a little break. Okay, sounds like a plan, dude. Yeah. Okay, quick, quick, quick pee break, and and we're back here. Um, Steve, I want to talk a little bit about you know the gets, 
um, and and um, specifically um, the tragedy that unfolded in, in you know 1993, um, and because that was a moment where I, I think Seattle really lost its innocence, right? Because it was a bunch of bands just kind of like playing around and everybody was friends, you know, and everything was fine. And, and it seemed like a really, really safe city, right? And then suddenly it wasn't, you know? Yeah. I think that's a bit of a misnomer there because I don't think it was a safe city before. I mean, when I'm, uh, we moved there in 89, mm-hmm. 1989. I remember walking from Broadway, you know, up a pine street towards where I lived on 19th and Denny. And um, mm-hmm. it was dark. There was like empty, you know, um, abandoned car dealerships. This, there were hardly any streets. There were hustlers and like crack, crack dealers on, on like at 12th and pine and pike, like on, on the corners. And, and then, then it, it sort of cleaned up a bit going into the early nineties, but not really, but not really. It was still like a lot of low rent apartments and um, Capitol Hill was, was pretty much, it was pretty dark and scary, as was around the, the market, around mm-hmm. Third and Pine, where the strip clubs were. Right. And then in Bell, like Belltown, you didn't really want to walk alone. So I, I think that that, that that evil was always there, but it, it, it was overlooked because there, everyone was together and they weren't seeing anything. You know, they weren't they weren't they weren't noticing. Right. I mean, plus we were young. Right. So when you're young, like you don't fear. Right. I mean, I had no fear when I was in my early 20s, like none. Yeah. Well, I did. I mean, I, I grew up with gangs around and stuff, and um, and I, I was always cognizant. And and all of us, and the guests. I mean, Andy grew up in Brooklyn, and 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 Matt in in New Jersey, and and Mia in Louisville, Kentucky, and like th- those aren't pleasant places, <laughs> right? And so we were all kind of a, a bit uh, wary all all the time of our environment, and it kept us out of trouble because we were hyper vigilant in that way. But uh, I, I remember thinking, gosh, people really don't see. You know all the all the uh, all the the the, um, the crap, the graft, you know, and the and the mm-hmm. the evil that's around and the the darkness. Now, and and we, we came out in our music a bit, you know. I think without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, and I think, you know, in in hindsight, I I see that, but I didn't see it then, right? I mean, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. seemed safe to me at that time, mm-hmm. um, or at least surmountable right like i mean even even if you know like uh um you know i, I lived in belltown in in 89 90 90 whenever it was um and i was able to walk literally i could walk from downtown to my apartment at two o'clock in the morning and not see a soul right i mean yeah, there's no one around a... <laughs> that's yeah. not a situation <laughs> really no yeah and and i live down on western right so there was literally nothing on west oh my god your cat is cute um yeah he'll be around that's cool uh, you know Just, hey when when i had gary lee connor on he had his his dog make a, a guest cameo so you know why not yeah. it's all good um yeah but there was i you're definitely right but it just seems it seemed at least at the time that there was this weird innocence and it didn't matter, you know, like yeah. you could go anywhere you wanted. Um, and there was no fear. Um, and you know, I, I think like right around, you know, where the comet is, that was kind of a delineation line, right? Like, I mean, going east of, of where the comet was, you know, particularly like if you lived on 19th and Denny, that you started to get into a little weird zone, you know? Yeah. 
there was a venue there. Um, there was a venue there on Madison 20th and Madison that I remember gross. Um, uh, that was, um, I remember a drive-by, there was a band playing and I think it was, I think it might've been Fugazi. It might've been uh, another band from DC, maybe it was government issue, but there was a drive-by shooting and everyone was in this this little hall uh, doing the show and everyone had to hit, hit the ground because someone had gone by and just popped a bunch of caps into the side of the, into the gig. And um, I remember gunshots, hearing gunshots all night at 19th and Denny. And now that's like a Beverly Hills 91210 or something. <laughs> right. I mean, I just saw a, a, a condo on, what was it? 22nd and Jackson. I think it was. Um, that was selling for like nine hundred thousand dollars. It was like, who the fuck would want to live there, <laughs> right? The rent was five hundred eighty dollars, I think, a month for yeah. four bed. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I mean, and, and you know, so it, it, it's funny. Like the the gentrification is is um, well, it's just a weird fucking thing to see. The weird you know? thing. Like I, I don't know when the last time you were on Capitol Hill. I, I try not to go anymore because it's depressing. Um, but all of that 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 grime so i i know i'm contradicting myself here right so it, it was safe but it was also grimy you know so I, i've got this these weird mixed memories you know of that, that time it is a paradox as they say yeah yeah and but anyway now it's all just like you know these you know million dollar condos like everywhere you and know, they turn up people are there six months and then they sell them you know because yeah. they want to upscale or downscale or whatever they're doing yeah it's it's crazy um but okay so at that time in 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 93 you know there there was that that no man's land you know like especially once you got above say like 15th right um and yeah it was it was a really you're right it was it was dark you know i i I guess i didn't notice it at the time or you know again i was young and just like oh well fuck it you know like i can do anything it doesn't matter Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what happened to me, I definitely changed all of that for, for, you know, a lot of people, you know, yeah. um, and it, it's, it's obviously, you know, a, a, an extreme tragedy. Right. Um, but there was some good, I think that, that ended up coming out of it. And, and, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm not making light of, of anything. I'm just saying, I think there was a little bit of good because when, when the home alive stuff started, um, it was sort of, uh, um, it was like, so people had gone through this and, and they were really sad and afraid, you know, particularly women in Seattle were, were, you know, extraordinarily afraid, you know, right after that happened. Um, and then when, when Home Alive began, there was sort of a, a, a weird like community. I'm not going to say it's a good thing, um, but it, it was, it was sort of like a, a giant group hug you know, in Seattle, you know, that happened. Um, and I, I personally, you know, I'll, I'll be perfectly blunt. I had never even thought that something like that could happen. Right. And yeah. I think a lot of people in Seattle were that way too. Um, yeah. but when people kind of came together and, you know, started supporting this, this, you know, like, Hey, well, you know, home alive you know like i mean everyone deserves to you know go see a show and and you know hang out with their friends or whatever and not be you know killed um i you know there was definitely good that came out of it right i mean 
at, at the unfortunate loss of, of you know, a, a very talented individual um, and, and a wonderful human. But I don't know, man. I mean, I, I'm not good at, at doing these, these sorts of, of things. You know, like I'm, I'm not good with, with death at all. Right. Like mm -hmm. I'm just not good at, with it. No um, one is. Well, you know, I, 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 I just, I do think though that there is a, uh, um, there was a, there was a, a good that did come out of it. Right. Even though it, it's a horrible tragedy. No, I think like anything, like if you, if you, if you go to like Bosnia and you see like people rebuilding their homes and you think, Oh, at least a good came out of this war. I don't think any good, can, can come of something like that. There's just like, there's like, there's like a rebuild, a rebuilding or a reassessment or a, or a like a, a necessity to, to re, to rebuild the houses that were destroyed, you know, because we need places. We, we need nightlife and we want to have some semblance. So I guess it just pointed, it pointed out where, where people were naive and, and where the ignorance was and, and what needed to be done. And, and people, Fortunately, stepped up from the ground. No one asked politicians to help. And no one asked um, anyone, any major labels to come and help. Well, actually, that's not true. <laughs> In the case of the Home Alive compilation, it was on Epic, but um, I think. Um, but I mean, it was, it was a group, it was a group of people, of outsiders who had moved at the same time that we did they were our, our crew that started home live. It was, it was the, it was Valerie from seven year bitch and, and Greta Harley who had moved from, from New York and Valerie and I had moved from, from Ohio where we were in school together. And um, uh, it, it, it took, I think maybe people looking from the outside in and having lived other places and, and kind of seeing how this could happen again and how, gosh, how, how could we miss this? How, how, how could we be, how could we have been so blind to the mm -hmm. fact that people, that, that there are psychopaths walking among, uh, among us. And, um, right. and then I think that was a real difficult learning experience for people to think that maybe one in a hundred people is a sociopath, you know, mm -hmm. they could not, not really care. And, and if you look at statistics, like I, I, I'm a clinical social worker now and I, I, I work with, you know, I've known sociopathic people and people with conduct, kids with conduct disorder that, that will kill an animal or, or their, their brother and not take another thing of it. Right. Um, and, and, and those, those, those are, they exist among us. And some people can train themselves to become politicians and CEOs and software executives and so forth and make lots of money. And that's one way to focus your sociopathy. Another way is to hurt, hurt people. And, and, and those people are, are, a smaller percentage but they they they're they're there and um this guy came in from a, a path of destruction from from florida all the way to to seattle uh leaving a trail of of tears in essence like hurting people and, and raping people and harassing people and 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 you know it was a failure of the system to stop to stop him from from arriving and and and, and haunting and stalking someone and killing but, um it uh it, it was just a confluence of breakdowns that anyway my phone's ringing okay there you go yeah, my, I'm gonna, um but yeah you know it was like it, it was it was home alive and and the whole reaction and the, the investigation to find out who killed her was 
was just out of necessity. I mean, I mean, I, no one had the energy for it or wanted to do it, but they had to, and we, we had to find out who did it. We didn't, we didn't want anyone else to be hurt or killed. And we, I guess we felt, we felt a responsibility to, to Mia to find out, find out who had done that to her mm-hmm. and to deal with them. And, um, and, and to the city and to the other people and to our friends that they, they wouldn't have to, to be subjected to that kind of luck, to that kind of fear. Right. And, um, yeah. yeah. So part of necessity, not so much of, of, of goodness, I think. Well, okay. Yeah. I, I, totally valid. Totally valid. And, and when I said goodness, I, I didn't really, that's not exactly what I meant. I mean, I, I think it's more of, it made people more aware, which I think ultimately is a good thing. Um, I don't know, and, man. Sometimes I'd rather be ignorant of shit like that, but when it's not close to you, it's true. like I'd rather go to Disneyland and be happy. But it's, <laughs> but I, you know, but I hate Disneyland, so I'm not going. <laughs> right. We have to do with what we have. <laughs> That's, wow. I mean, I, I. So there's a uh, there are a couple of events in Seattle that that so many people are like, well, I was there. Right. Like, I mean, the the most famous one is probably, you know, Nirvana's first show at, at, you know, at the Vogue. Right. And like, yeah, I was there, you know, like, and if you count all the people who were there, it's, you know, far exceeds, you know, the, the capacity of the Vogue. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously bullshit, you know, and then likewise Soundgarden's first show at Central, you know, like all these people like, oh, yeah, I was there. I was there. OK. Yeah. And some of them were like three, you know, at the time the show was on. So obviously they weren't there. Um. But unfortunately, there's the same thing with, you know, that night at the, at the Comet. So many people are like, oh, I saw her drinking there that night. Uh-huh. You know, like what? And and they make this this like almost. Uh, I, I don't even know what to call it. it, it it's uh, um, well, I, I would call it sociopathic, I would guess. Right. Like, oh, no, I was there. You know, I was there. I, I saw blood. What? And like, no, yeah. you weren't because, you know, I wasn't there, obviously. Um but, you know, I know at that time, you know, this, you know, the comment was lucky, you know, on, on, you know, a midweek night to, you know, have 30 people in there, you know, yeah, I was, was there that night. So, um, yeah. I didn't see those people that you mentioned. Yeah, no, and, and, and there, there supposedly are, you know, like hundreds of them. Um, <laughs> I, I did go in a couple of nights later and, and who knows, it could have been two days. It could have been two weeks. Like, I really don't remember. Um, yeah. And because of the way the news cycle worked, you know, it wasn't, I'd heard like through the grapevine, but again, without the internet or whatnot, you know, you're not quite sure what really happened. You know, you hear is like somebody said something happened, blah, whatever. Um, and I just got in for a beer and it was, I mean, it was dark, man. I mean, it was really, really, really fucking dark in there. And that's when I was like, Oh shit! Like it really happened, right? Because again, you, you you know there wasn't access to um, you know instant you know news or or whatnot, um, and yeah, it was really 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 fucking dark. And I remember thinking, um, it, you know, and this is like obviously I didn't know Mia, um, but I remember just thinking, wow, like I mean it 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 it's real. Like I mean this this horrible thing is is actually real. I don't think that you probably did know her. I mean, if you'd seen us play four or five times and you knew, you know, you knew the best of her, you know, you knew what she presented on stage was who she was. And so you, mm-hmm. you did know, 
in essence, I mean, she would have, I'm sure, been happy to know you as well. But it's like, I think that people are super lucky if they did get to see her perform because as much as we wanted to play more every day, you know, we would play live and we toured as much as we could. Uh, we didn't, we never got to play as much as we wanted to. And mm -hmm. I think we probably get banned now. I saw X play a couple, I guess it was two Christmases ago. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the internet, the Continental, what's it called? That's a club in San Francisco that's holds about 2000 people. And um, it was packed and, and they were so awesome. They were so great. Mm -hmm. And you could just tell that they knew each other so well. And, and uh, no one had died in their band. And I was just so impressed and blown away by that, that they could still be a band 30 years later and still mm -hmm. tear it up. But they did. And I was just like, uh, I was so elated and, and it made me so happy to see that band play. Um, but I think we would have been real similar. We could have opened that show, I think, and it would have mm -hmm. been even better. Uh, and I went back and told them that after the sh after the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, they are an incredible band. Um, and, you know, still are. Granted, you know, Exine has her, her, you know, political issues. But other than that, you know, they're, they're still a great band. Um, but she was always a little bit off, so, yeah. you know. It's it's not a huge surprise there. Um, that that's kind of the the next question I was going to ask is like where where would you see yourself? You know, assuming that that horrible event didn't happen, which I, I realize is a huge assumption, like an enormous assumption. Well, I think about it. You know, because like, I have to, and I I would, like I said, I think we'd be playing. You know, I think we'd. I would probably want to be playing more than those guys because they, they seem to be like at this point, a little less enthusiastic about, mm -hmm. uh, about playing live. But I think that had we maintained, um, yeah, I think if we'd maintained, um, <laughs> if Mia were alive, we'd, we'd still be playing. I mean, I think mm -hmm. she loved playing live and, and I mean, we all did, but, um, you know, Matt now has a family and, and, who knows what um, Andy and I would be doing had she not died. So, um, yeah, I think we'd, we'd still be recording and playing. Mm -hmm. We'd be on our album and going back to the way we sounded on our first album by now, I think. <laughs> so that, that's really interesting because I just went back um, actually a couple of weeks before we, we first started talking. Um, went back and... and I do this every couple of years while I go back and, and, you know, listen to bands that I listened to, you know, when I was younger. Um, and man, I, I gotta say that your drumming on second skin is fucking monster. You know, like I listen to that over and over and over again. Like it's such a phenomenal, just like the energy is just, you know, phenomenal. Yeah. We had a lot of energy. I mean, it was like, they did all up for being on stage and that's when we, we blew up and um and i think that recording i mean we did that long i mean early in our career we recorded second scan on another song with our friend scott benson in 91 or something or 90 and it was our first single um on broken records because we couldn't get any interest in seattle to put out our music like everyone seemed to be starting a label but no one was interested in us so we, right. we gravitated to, to san francisco and played there a lot and um that's where the label said, Hey, I'd love to put out a single. And we're like, sure, here we go. No second skin. It, it, it's an incredible song, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those songs that, um, like it, it'd been, you know, several years since I had heard it. Um, and it, it actually randomly came up on a playlist about two months ago, right. On, on one of my Spotify playlists. And it was like, 
holy shit. And it, it was, it was like literally being like sucked back into a, in a moment in time. Right. Like I, I remembered, literally, I remembered hearing that song, you know, being done live, mm-hmm. which, which mm-hmm. is rare. You know, I mean, I, I, I've seen a lot of bands and, and, um, yeah, it was like instantly. And I remember being at the off ramp. Like I, I, I can't tell you when it was. <laughs> I can just tell you I remember being there. And I remember hearing the song. Uh, the funny thing about the song is um, <laughs> this is the secret that no one knows, so don't tell anyone. Oh, sure. Um, no. The, I, you're not it, being recorded or anything, so don't, don't worry about that. It's just between you and me and, and them. But mm-hmm. um, that, that song, we recorded the song, and um, we, when he mixed it down, he forgot to pan anything. And he left it all mono. So that single was pressed in mono. And when you listen to a song in mono, it comes out of your out of the speakers like full blast. Like if you listen oh, to AM radio back in the day, before we were born, there was AM radio. And you would listen to those like by Sweet or or uh, Joe Walsh or the whatever. And it would sound like really big because it would just be one speaker like pushing out the sound that would hit you really strong. And that is why it sounds so powerful. It's because it was accidentally recorded in mono. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it sounds loud, right? Like powerful and loud and in your face. And it's, it's mono. It's insane. I, I know yeah. that that's really interesting. <laughs> I thought so. Um, so what did they do? Did they like split it out into two channels when they eventually, or I mean like. No, I think the single, I mean, the album was, had been remastered by Jack and Dino and, and so forth. And I'm sure it's, it, it's more uh, it's more panned in a stereo mix, but like that in that case, it's it's just one channel of, of, of music, you know. That's incredible, man. I, yeah. I love stories yeah. like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my yeah, this I, is <laughs> such a cutie. Um, totally unrelated, but I, I don't even know why I'm thinking of this. But it, it, it's it's one of those like, like you know studio fuck up sort of stories, right? Um, and it involves a, a hair metal band, so bear with me. Um, one of my favorite stories along those lines is, is quiet riot when, when they, they were told that they had to do come on, feel the noise. Right. And yeah. they were like, fuck, no, we don't want to do this. This sucks. Like what, what the record label was like, yeah, no, no, you have to do it. So they did again, the story might be apocryphal, but you know, it, it's been, you know, confirmed by at least two of the members, you know, before they died that they went in and said, we're going to do the shittiest job we possibly can. We're going to make this the worst song we've ever recorded. And so they go in and, and they did, you know, at least in their minds. They're like, we're going to do this so fucking bad that the record label will say no. And what happened is they took the first cut, literally the first cut of, of the track, and that became their, you know, the song that sold, you know, I don't 35 million copies or whatever the fuck it was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love shit like that. You know, it's like where, where, you know, somebody fucks up somewhere along the way. But it becomes yeah. this like incredible track, you know. Yeah. It becomes. It just goes to show you that, like, in there, there's not there's enough to be said about perfection and being perfect and doing everything exactly the way it should be done. Mm-hmm. But you, you can't predict like inconsistency and and anomaly and improvisation and stuff that just comes out of out of the creative process that isn't that isn't supposed to be there. And for right. us, it was. We were, a, we were fallible. We were fallible as human beings and we were fallible as a band. As much as we tried to play tight, we did, but sometimes something would, would be different. You know, something would be slightly pitched right. different or Mia would say something differently or I would play something differently. 
and that and we we decided to just to allow for that and to allow for imperfection and and that and to see what would happen and i think that's probably why you remember second skin as something that was powerful and you can place yourself there is because it, it there's not there's everything organic and nothing contrived about it because we right. we played it how we were feeling in the moment and that that was good enough well i mean so the gets to me were were always really interesting because it was really hard to put a a, a, a genre right on, on what you guys were doing it wasn't punk but it kind of was it was kind of bluesy but it mm -hmm. wasn't bluesy you know it was rock but it, it maybe was a little more punk you know like i mean it was it was kind of very interesting right i mean i i personally wouldn't label it in in with any single genre Right. I, I would put it into that that weird category of, of a couple of other bands um, who I won't mention because otherwise we'd probably talk about them. Um, that All of them from Seattle, mind you, who kind of had that weird. Um, multiple styles just kind of thrown together that that worked really, really, really super well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, the scene. Yeah, and I think the the closest band I can come to, even though the sound is not even remotely the same, is, is like Green River, right? Which is kind of punky, kind of bluesy, kind of rocky, like you know, like this this weird combination of sounds. Um, and I I think you know, it, regardless of of you know what ended up becoming of Seattle and whatnot, um, that is one thing that I think is is really really interesting to me is that there were these bands that that were kind of they were all over the place. You know, there yeah. was there were there were definite influences, um, but if you actually listen to to an album, oh, I just did this with my girlfriend actually that right before I got on this podcast, I, I sent her a copy of Second Skin and said, "Hey, listen to this," and you know, she had no idea how to describe it. Then she broke right. up with you. <laughs> no, 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 not yet. <laughs> not, she might after this, but um, no, I mean, it's it's, I don't know, like I mean would you, how would you describe you you know the gets music um well, i mean we didn't have we, we didn't have the internet you guys back mm -hmm. then and it, it, we didn't have the internet until like i don't know early mid 2000s right? right and um uh so we kind of grew up and, and came about our sound in a in a in ohio in school together in southwest ohio literally 50 miles away from a, a freeway to take you someplace so it was like mm -hmm. Oh, the cornfields and we didn't have televisions <laughs> we didn't have mtv so we we grew up in where we didn't have like pop influences at all we didn't know what bands were around like we brought bands into play there like the dead kennedys and i saw them i'm like oh wow we should play like that and then mm -hmm. camper Coben wanted to play and so we booked them it's like well that was really weird they had a they had a fiddle and they jumped right. around and acted weird and they were hippies that's interesting so like all those elements were like our only influence so we were influenced by each other's playing really i was influenced by this influence of the blues, you know, and, and probably gospel singing and, and Southern, Southern soul singing, you mm -hmm. know, and then, you know, Andy and Matt had all through high school had gone to shows at CBGB's and seen every hardcore punk band probably that existed in the country at that time mm -hmm. between three and 85 or 86. And so they brought this other uh, sort of aspect to it. And I'd been playing drums since I was 10 or 11 and studied jazz, you know, and I was up in doing different time signatures, trying to cover yes songs and stuff. And I was way over that. I was done pretty much until I discovered mm -hmm. punk rock. 
wow, here's a reason to play music. Um, so it was like, we were influenced most by each other, I think, than, more than any other band. And that's why we didn't really, we didn't feel like we fit in to, to the Seattle scene. It's everyone to us sounded like either the, the Stooges or, or um, the fucking, you know, some per, Pearl Jam parallel or, right. you know, kind of ballad, uh, power ballad band, heavy right. rock, Ario Speedwagon or something. That, that's what. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. Portland and played with Poison Idea and made friends with them and, and down in San Francisco and, and played with Steel Pole Bathtub and, and, and Jawbreaker and, and various bands there. And, um, and in LA, we went down and played with Pop Defect and Paper Tulips and different bands there that we, and, and Beck ended up opening a, a show for us and we were not influenced by that in any way. Mm-hmm. However, um, the, you know, it, it, we really didn't find much in common with with Seattle bands at the time, unless they were bands we lived with, like Seven Year Bitch and the DC Beggars and Big Brown House, my other band, and and, and played with Hammerbox a lot. And they were also seemed kind of like outsiders. Oh, totally we're pushing the boundaries of pop in the way that we were pushing the boundaries of, of punk rock. I think yeah. so that you know there were Hammerbox. Everybody... Had that... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. Um, Hammerbox had had. Um kind of that that weird almost metal but not quite thing um and and if i had to compare like and please don't be offended when i say this but if i had to compare two vocalists in, in seattle I, and we mentioned this a little bit before carrie ockrey and and mia were very similar radically different but very similar and it it's it's um that that powerful um almost bluesy vocal right over music that, that that is hard right i think they both were so different and that but they respected one another and they i mean we played probably 20 shows with them and um mm-hmm. because people would lump us together but they they had a, a a very healthy respect for one another's styles and stuff but there's other singers that were coming around that that i thought were more akin to mia and kurt cobain was one and and the other um is her name now is french walker and it was eileen back then walker and she was in a band mm-hmm. with um john hour from the posies uh called um what was her band called i forget um oh, what was her fucking band edit 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 <laughs> <laughs> um you know i don't band... anything shit i forget i have the single right over there but um she uh yeah she actually um when mia died I, we, we actually thought thought of reforming it making a new band with her I mm-hmm. talked to her about. Um, I ended up actually working with her a few years ago, finally mm-hmm. after many years, and realizing that she she had a, a great, great, great voice and a great um, lyrical um, sensibility too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know who I mean. I I do, and I can't think of the name either, which is why I'm, I'm staying silent. Yeah, um, I could probably I look s- it up, but. I'm going to shout it out in the middle of our conversation in a minute. So that's fine. That's fine, man. Um, I, I do that all the time. Um, in fact, it's don't be surprised if, you know, like afterwards I'll be like, dude, it's image <laughs> is, Oh, image. You're right. I am. I am. I J right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Oh, you know what? I never even thought of that. Yeah. I never got that. The badass band. They were great. And, yeah, and they were. one of the female vocalists. 
Yeah. Wow. Um, there was also a, a kind of kind of similar. Um, what were they called? Um, ondine, andine. Uh, anodyne, I think. Anodyne. Yeah. yeah. And Bell. I mean, it's Vanessa Veselka, who I later formed a band with. Mm-hmm. Had a band called. They, they they toured the U.S. probably five or ten, five or six times, like um, all over the place, and had very limited. I mean, I'm sure they sold records on tour, but you know, they never they never seemed to get any any press in Seattle, and they were mm-hmm. were there were very hardworking bands there that were real serious. That just I think there was a glut. There was just too many, too many of us. Like your song. Yeah, I, I oh, you just drop your video, just drop. That's okay. I'll just show my, my ugly face for a minute. Yeah, there you go. Uh, oh, there you go. Awesome. Um, and we're going to wrap up here very soon here, Steve. I mean, I appreciate it. I'm down 10%, so let me grab a, um, a power, a charger, okay? I think I've... Okay. Hey, no worries, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut our recording here just for a sec. Okay, yeah. And I'll I'll be... Ones and zeros. Ones and zeros, yeah. I mean, well, that's what I do all day long, so um, yeah. unfortunately. Um, I, I'm getting really fucking tired of doing that, by the way. Edit. I don't understand like how I don't understand the ones and zeros and my friends say that that's why I, I, I am um, that's 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 just why I am who I am because I don't get it yeah, well that's fine so what exactly is it you're doing right now God, that's a good question <laughs> uh, right now from the very, this very moment um, I'm building a studio in the house where I live a mm-hmm. recording studio in the basement and um uh and we'll be having some people over to record it. I made a record with Tad Doyle at his studio in um, oh, did you? Renton, south of mm-hmm. Seattle, uh, in 2018 or 2019 with my, a band I was playing in called uh, Wolves in Argyle. It was kind of a, mm-hmm. it was kind of like people said it sounded like a Seattle band from the 90s, but um, it had a pretty heavy, heavy groove. And with this cat, Dave Holmes, who was um, in a band called The Uzis. Mm-hmm. um that toured a lot and i think they were based in tacoma for a while um so we had kind of a a, a band with a there was some great musicians and we recorded with tad who just made this incredible sounding album um and then COVID hit and we had tours of the u.s and brazil planned mm-hmm. all that went mm-hmm. went south um but the album still remains and um yeah so it, i was inspired by how he had converted his garage into the studio like i, I want to do that and so yeah. Well, he sold me some gear and he's, he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be my, my tech consultant on building the studio. I, I love um, it. Yeah. He's a fantastic human too. Just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, great, uh, great gear for recording. I would recommend anyone like that. What, um, re- I'm sorry. What, what does he call the studio? Witch ape or ape, witch or something witch, like that. Yeah. Witch ape, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's a phenomenal human. Um, he's definitely somebody that I want to have on just because um, I know he has some, some incredible stories, right? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, the, the Boise butcher and okay. So we weren't going to talk about Seattle music too much, but, but this one I do want to point out to me, it cracks me up that, that some of the, the most um, memorable bands from Seattle were not from Seattle at all. Right. Like it gets, you weren't from Seattle. Tad was oh. from Boise. Um, you know, even Nirvana from from Aberdeen is trees. close. Screaming Trees, you know, Nirvana was like Aberdeen, right? And yeah, Olympia. yeah, uh, and Screaming Trees were were Ellensburg. Um, I got the fastbacks. That's about it. Yeah, the fastbacks. You know, they're a constant though. I mean, they're, they're still <laughs> not going to go anywhere. Or something. 
I'm sorry, one more time. Soundgarden's Bainbridge Island, right? Uh, Mother Love Bone. I'm sorry, not Mother Love. Uh, well, Malfunction and part of, obviously, um, Mother Love Bone were, were Bainbridge Island. Um, hmm. Soundgarden, I think, were mostly Seattle-based. I'm not certain, but I think they were mostly Seattle-based. Um, you know, Mudhoney has its origins in, in Bellevue. You know, right. like th there weren't uh, many, you know, Seattle bands or, or, you know, directly from Seattle sort of bands. Um, and actually, one thing that I, I say all the time is one of my favorite bands from that era is The Fluid, right? And they were from, from Denver. Denver. From Denver, yeah. yeah. The Super Suckers from Albuquerque. Tucson, yeah. Tucson. Tucson. Yeah. yeah actually, you I, can't really find one. <laughs> you can't yeah. really find, it's hard to find ones from Seattle. Seattle should appreciate other places more. They should. They should. I, I totally agree with that. Um, and it's funny now, now that now that we started that topic, I'm like, okay, I can't think of a single, just purely <laughs> Seattle band, at all. I I know they exist, but I can't think of one to save my life. Um, nope. You know, I mean, even Pearl Jam. Like what's that? Six Pistols. The Clash. <laughs> no. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um well i mean you know we could actually reverse that and say that you know technically guns and roses are from seattle because of duff mckagan right right <laughs> so, yeah i mean if, if you want to you know if you go one way you can go the other way so why not um so after after um i mean you're still doing music and stuff and, and i want to talk just just briefly about that um Actually, you can talk as long as you want about it. I'm just going to ask one brief question about it. How's that? Okay. Um, so at, at some point you, you moved away from Seattle and um, while still doing music, you became a social worker. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. So let, let's just briefly talk about that. I mean, like what what made you get into that? Like what, what was the impetus to, to... Well, I wanted to work for... I wanted to be a witness advocate for people who had suffered, you know, uh, violent crime. Uh, when I moved to, I went to graduate school at U University of Washington School of Social Work um, and try and did my, and was doing my internship at the public defenders when the DA discovered Mesquia was being held in Florida and he was going to be brought back wow. to, <laughs> to be uh, defended by the public defender where I was working. So that was very ironic. I had a badge to get into the jail where he was being held. I could have gone and, and had a nice chat with him, but I, I wow. um, yeah, it was a trip. Um, it was very, it was very weird. It was serendipitous, I think is the word. And then um, they transferred me there. The, the, the attorney general of the university of Washington, if you didn't know, they do have an attorney general found out about that and then transferred me to the juvenile division of the, uh, of the, the public defender up on 12th street, you know, that horrible jail right. up there. Yeah. I don't think they use it anymore. I hope not. This was gnarly. That but, was um, East Princeton that, that was um, basically firebombed during the, the BLM protest last year. Good work right? on that. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, and, and after the, after the trial was over in 2004, uh, I just, uh, I um, moved with, um, with my partner then to Oakland because uh, mm -hmm. she had here and her family was from San Francisco and 
but it was just too costly to live there. We both finished school at the same time and moved to to uh, Oakland and had mm-hmm. been been here ever since, like sixteen years. Longer than I lived in Seattle, I've been in the Bay Area now. Right. And which do I like better? Seattle, probably. Really? Between July and October. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's there's like that four or five months that was like perfect. Yeah. And then the, the you know the rest of it is like holy shit. Yeah. Now I don't yeah. recognize it, so it's kind of like a new city anyway. Oh, it, it totally is. Um, I moved up to the north end a few years ago, um, and I can't see myself living in Seattle again. Yeah, it's just not you the know? same. I'm no, it, it's all gone. All all the bars are gone. All the you know everything is gone. You know. Yeah. Um, and the few that have have reopened are so radically different than what they used to be that you know it's almost patronizing you know to to have you know that name on you know on the on the venue you know like it's nothing like it used to be at all no it's not but it's Um, it's it's to seattle's credit that they managed to stay in business you know rock or places and that that people have like ben london and and uh who a lot of the other music industry insiders and have kept the politicians on their toes so that like they've passed laws that are positive to to live music and the industry mm-hmm. that money that it brings into the to the area and so forth like yeah. when you go to the like, airport there's like a giant pearl jam video playing and like whoa this is now like right. pearl jam city or something but um i think it's interesting how seattle has decided to in, uh, embrace rock and roll when before it was like you get a 300 dollar fine for pay, putting a poster on a on a fire pole that, that's you know? right that's right. Crazy. And it was you, uh, Were you guys were you here during the, the teen dance ordinance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were yeah, all okay. trying, I was my job was putting up posters for the OK Hotel, so I had to watch out, you know. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, Mark Sedrin Sedrin, right? That was his name? Yeah. The, the, he was he was the the uh the city attorney for Seattle and he's the one who, who started the teen oh, dance. Yeah. Fucking dick wad. I, I no idea yeah. what happened to him, but um, yes, I think he has a podcast. Uh, probably, probably. But we're all assholes, so a maga, a maga, a podcast. Yeah, probably. I mean, he's such an asshole. And the thing that kills me is, you know, he came from Brooklyn, right? I mean, like you would think well, that he would be cleaning up crime in, in New York at that time was Rudy Giuliani. So of course he was, you know, it was all right. about. Three strikes and you're out and stuff like that. Yeah, Stop the I, kid in life, and, you know. I, I made the mistake of living in, in Manhattan um, in the, the late 90s. And it was like, okay, Times Square should not be fucking Disneyland, right? I mean, like, th- this sucks, you know? <laughs> um, there, there were still a few good bars, you know, like, hidden away, you know, if, if you walked, you know, especially down to, like, 11th or whatnot, you know? So, like, you know, a few blocks off of, you know, Broadway. There were still some decent places, but sure. it was all... really sad to see, man. You know, like a... Seattle now, really, man. Yeah, I think all major cities are getting that way. You know, like even San Francisco, which I I love. Just the last few times I've been there, I'm just like, it makes yeah. me a little bit sad. Actually, very it makes few, me a lot sad. Very few of the places that had music are are going to be open after this COVID thing. Yeah, and I've, yeah. I've heard of at least four venues that I, I played with various bands that are closing. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising. I, I, I personally can see, you know, 30, 
somewhere between 30 and 50 percent of of all venues and bars being closed you know in the next year or two um, because hopefully there'll be another another scene that rises up out of this and, and i think there will be covid scene you know you know do you have any kids not that i know of not that you know of. okay perfect um i have one um and he's uh almost 20 now which is is really weird um he just recently got into vinyl because i i bought him a you know a record player and and you know what i call a, a punk rock starter kit right of of you know tracks or albums and um i mix in some hip-hop because you know i mean apparently all the young kids like hip-hop so whatever i got him some of that but anyway um the point of that is i do have a little bit of hope because he's he's really fucking into it you know, and never had been interested in it at all, you know? Um, and now he's, he's like, you know, every, every day, you know, he's like throwing on one of the five albums that I got him, you know, as part of his, his starter pack, you know? It's so kind of, well, it's validating in a way, right? That, that actually, well, records do sound powerful and good and more organic and, and better than MP3. And, and actually this, 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 this music is more spontaneous and powerful than, and something that's that's canned and a singer over a, a track you know a, a created mc track or whatever like it's um there was like i think it's going to come back when i see bands in oakland and there's five or six kids on stage and like one of them you know the guitar player sounds like he's in the buzzcocks and and the the keyboard player is like they're in rum dmc and then the the drummer is playing like a latin beat and it's like well they're just mixing genres they don't care Right. They don't have that separation of, of, of styles and stuff. It's all mixed. It's all one thing to them because of right. just the info, music and, and, and sound that they hear every day on the internet and with their friends. But it's like, it's going to be interesting, I think, where music goes, live music especially, in the next 10 yeah. years. Yeah. I'm down with it. That's what I'm building a studio. I want to capture it. I want to record it. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I think the first band I heard like that <clears throat> was um, Mindless Self-Indulgence, right? where they just mixed everything like they mixed, you know, hip hop and, and metal and, you know, a little bit of punk and, and a bunch of different things all together. And I was like, okay, at first I hated it. And then I was like, this is actually really interesting. You have to be open-minded about these things. Yeah. Just because you're getting older doesn't mean you need to be closed minded. <laughs> That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, Steve, I know we're I know we're about to run out of time yeah. here, but I have I have one last question for you, and it's one that I ask everybody. And um, okay, this everybody. is like the act studio, right? Yeah, this is nah. So <laughs> nobody likes this question, but I, I ask it anyway, just because. Well, I'm a dick. Um, what is one thing about you that nobody knows, or I'm sorry, very few people would know? One thing about me that very few people would know. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting question. I don't think it's a bad question. Uh, I could please it, but I won't. Um, nobody knows. Um, uh, I'll show you. Wait a second. Oh, this is something no one knows. I'm going to show you. But I once looked like this. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, you were a cute <laughs> kid. What happened? <laughs> I had braces. That's ugly. Oh man! Let me guess. You were probably about <laughs> 13? twelve or thirteen. Uh, I think it was eleven. That was my first band. We were playing another one at church. I love it. I love it. I uh, I had 
um, Brad Sensel from TKO on um, about a month ago. You know, uh-huh. I, I love that sort of music. So, you know, I was excited to talk to him. And he was selling that his first gig, which is at a, a Mormon temple. Um, <laughs> and their, their guitar player, I think it was a guitar player. I forget the story, but um, showed up without any shoes on. And one of the elders was like, um, son, where's your shoes? You can't play here without shoes. And the guitarist turned around and said, they're at home with my morals. <laughs> right. <laughs> and <They> so, <laughs> yeah. So, and I forget if it was the same show or a different show, but the same guy, um, ended up pulling out his dick, like, you know, in the middle of the show. Right. And of course, yeah. Yeah. So like, nobody knows this band That's at fun. all. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just totally just like, you know, pulls it out. And apparently, you know, in Yakima, that was like, you know, the talk of the town for quite some time. You know, people don't normally do that, especially in a Mormon tabernacle. But the Mormons say quite a lot. <laughs> anyway, hey, yeah, I, I, I love all of that, man. Um, we didn't go as deep as, as I thought we were going to go into some stuff, but that's fine. I like to do these sort of like free form, you know, conversations. Um, yeah. If if nothing else, you know, it sets us up for you know round two at some point in the future. If if you know that makes. I would appreciate it. Um, I'm writing a book about my time, my life with Mia. I think I mentioned that. Maybe I didn't. No, you didn't. Please, please talk about it. Done. Yeah, it's like I don't know if I want to bring it up on uh, yet, but um, uh, I did a Kickstarter campaign a couple of years ago, so I've been at it for a while. Oh. Um, it's about finished, and Pat Moriarty, who's a cartoonist, mm-hmm. in, uh, in around Seattle and he's doing um like it's kind of a it's a novel with it was started to out being a graphic novel but it's become it's become a memoir of my life with me uh with with comics throughout oh that's fascinating um yeah. if, if you want i i'm more than happy to link to that in the description okay. it's, it's totally up to you uh, we'll do it like maybe the next time uh, next round or something. oh you're frozen okay. no, you're... yeah, yeah. I, I i don't have any video from you but you know what yeah steve that was a lot of fun, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Thanks. And now it just says John's iPhone, which is awesome. Um, yeah, my first name. I should have said that. Oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, let's wrap this up. I appreciate you so much, man. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate you, too. And we'll talk to you soon. If you don't mind, just stay on just for one second. Okay. And we're going to call this a wrap. Thanks, Steve. Bye.